Second and six. Here's a fake to Bowles. Go back to throw. He's firing into the corner of the end zone. Callaway goes up at the goal line. He has it. Is it a touchdown? Yes. Touchdown, Michigan. The signal. Wishbone now for the Wolverines on second and nine from the Maryland 12. Leggett is at fullback, and straight to throw is Gerback. He fires into the end zone. Touchdown, Greg McMurtry. Motion to the left. McMurtry split that way. Gerback's going to throw on third down. Fires end zone. Touchdown, Derek Walker. Just over the goal line. Walker curled inside. And now, a special presentation of Faith Fit Radio with your host, Catherine Laguna. Welcome to Faith Fit Radio. I'm Catherine Laguna, and you're listening to the Diocese of Orlando's Catholic Station, where we bring you exciting podcasts on singing priests, Catholic rock stars, and now incredible athletes. This week, we're going to do something completely different because we have former NFL quarterback Elvis Gerback, who played for the San Francisco's 49ers, Kansas City Chiefs, and the Baltimore Ravens. Today, we'll be talking about athletes and faith, especially when those two worlds collide. How can someone seek a career in sports, but also be committed and honest about their faith? Well, let's bring in our guest for today. Thank you for joining the show, Elvis. How's it going today? Good. Good. How are you? Thank you for having me. I really appreciate uh, having an opportunity to speak with you. Of course. And thank you for taking the time to talk to us right before your event. You have such an extensive record reaching from high school to the professional level. Let's start from the beginning and work our way toward how you fell in love with football, though. How was your family life? And were you introduced to the Catholic faith right away? Or is it something that grew along the way in the chapters of your life? Well, you have to go all the way from, from the beginning. My parents um, came from uh, Croatia. I'm 100% Croatian. Mm-hmm. They came to this country in 1968. My older brother and my older sister were born over there. Wow. Catholic. Catholic all the way through. Old European Catholic. Um, it was so instilled in me. It was just part of my DNA, really, mm-hmm. uh, when I was a younger kid. And athletics was a part of my life from the beginning. I used to play basketball when I was younger. I was a very good basketball player. Uh, got to high school and was really not into football until later on in high school, like my junior and senior year. Oh, wow. uh, I played basketball for a very long time and baseball. But I was very blessed um, to have really great coaches through my entire career. And I can go all the way back to the grade school coaches that I had at St. Felicitas Grade School. Uh, great, great coaches, and great Catholic men. Then I got into high school, and one of the greatest uh, coaches in the state of Ohio, Bill Guprod, I was able to play for. And he was very, very much a Catholic man. And that's what he instilled in us was that was more important than anything else we did, academically or athletically. And at St. Joseph High School, uh, a number of number of uh, professional athletes have come out of that school, and they have such a great Catholic-based foundation that they can fall back on. Um, is it a great? Was it a great athletic school? Absolutely, and it still is today. Uh, St. Joseph High School is really it's the name is uh, Villa Angela St. Joseph. They merge with another sister school, mm. and their basketball program is still thriving, uh, and. What they call it is the Viking Village, and it truly is is a village of people who really care about the students that are there um, and really put in the time and effort, not just athletically and academically, but like I said, 
but they really form the kids in being good Catholic people. Um, I was very blessed as I continued on my career at the University of Michigan. I played for Bo Schembechler, one of the greatest coaches of all time in college level. Um, and he was just a, a great man. And, and, and again, he was a coach that really stressed on developing you as a person and not about the athletics. Ah. Uh, so everywhere I went, that was kind of the focal point. And in the NFL, um, I think God had a hand in all this for some reason. God got to the NFL, and Mr. DeBartolo was the owner of the San Francisco 49ers at the time. And it was very evident that every Sunday before our games, we were able to, to go to Mass and continue to, to practice our faith. And it was very important for uh, for the organization. And he made it a point that um, that your faith should be a, a part of that. Um, and wow. it should be a part of like the team effort. Uh, and that was, I think, why the San Francisco 49ers were so good is that uh, that not only was it were there great athletes. I played with Jerry Rice and you know Steve Young and number uh, Deion Sanders, number of guys who were great, great athletes, but they were good, solid men. Um, I don't know how the league is now. I've been out for for a while, mm-hmm. but everywhere I've gone, when I went to Kansas City and I went to Baltimore. Um, that was the, the stressing point was that there were good men around us. Uh, I'm not saying that the NFL doesn't do that anymore, mm-hmm. but I kind of, I don't know, I kind of saw it slipping away maybe a little bit. And I could be wrong in saying that because I've been out of it for some time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know there's good men there. There's good, solid men. Um, but I was very fortunate to be at a time in the NFL where I think they really still did their homework on researching the background of guys, even to the point where, you know, when I was drafted with the 49ers, they went all the way back to my high school coach and wanted to see what kind of person I was. And so they really took the time and effort into finding out what kind of person you were besides the athlete. Um, Now, how did my faith life develop through all that? Mm Um, I will say this, and I could be very honest about this. I, I speak to men's conferences all around the country, and it's very typical of, uh, uh, let's say, like the, the professional life that you have, any kind of work life that you have. Mm-hmm. What happens is, is very typical. What happens is the professional life that you have takes over your life, and that's who you become, and that's who you're determined by is who you are as a doctor, lawyer, professional athlete, whatever you are that kind of takes over kind of like your life. And what happens to the faith life gets put on the back burner. And that's what happened to me. Um, I was so entrenched in the NFL and trying to make sure that I was at my top game um, during the, the years that I played, even when I was at Michigan. And that became really the driving force of my life. Um, my family life was always solid and always has been. But then my faith life kind of really kind of took kind of like a, almost like a, a distant view. And when I talk to men's conferences, I really stress that if you really want to find happiness and peace and the true meaning of your life, that faith aspect has to become number one. Mm-hmm. And that's really what God is, is asking us is to put him first before everything and then to trust in him that everything else will fall into place. And I've done that, and I've seen God's hand working in my life 
with him first, my family life with my kids and my wife, there's a there's a great harmony right now within the family that I could have never done on my own. This is God's grace, um, really kind of uh, being a part of my family. And then what I do, um, being retired, um, I do get an opportunity to go around and speak and give my witness to other men and have them an opp- given them an opportunity to really understand what it is to be top at your profession, and is that really the fulfillment that you're looking for, or is it God in your life, and then trusting in God that your family life, um, by the grace of God, will have somewhat of a harmony, and then your work life will continue to provide for your family and, and for your re- the rest of your life. But God is asking, you know, all of us to put him number one and the, really the focal point in our life. So I've, I've done that. And I've, like I said, I've, from the beginning, I think God had a, a hand in everything that I've done. And I've had time to kind of reflect on it and, and look at the past and see like the people that I've been around. I've been around good people for a good reason. And I think God understood that. Uh, and, gave, and has given me an opportunity now to go out um, and spread that news. You know, it's crazy. I tell this to some of the guys that I talk to. Here's a God that has given me uh, athletic ability to go out there on Sundays and to give the best effort I can. And sometimes you fall flat totally on your face, and it's totally embarrassing. <laughs> now here God, God goes, you're going to do it again for me. You're going to go around the country, and you're going to profess your faith in me, and you might fall on your face in front of people, but you're going to do that for me. And that's what I'm doing. And so I'm I'm kind of listening again to God in in a sense that, you know, now there's a peace and happiness in my life that I can go out and I can express express it to, to a lot of men that I speak around the country. Yeah, and that's so beautiful, and it's very refreshing to see that you've had really strong Catholic men um, influence you throughout your career. And I, you know, it's something that I don't think I would have expected for you to tell us, and especially for you to remain so humble throughout your professional career. How did you stay humble through all of that pressure and fame and attention? Were there distractions at times? Well, I. <laughs> Two people that, or three people that have been in my life for a very, very long time. Obviously, my parents. Um, my parents came to this country uh, not speaking the language at all, mm-hmm. had no money to their name whatsoever, and they have built a family here in the United States that is unbelievable. All are married. All four children are married, and they have grandchildren, and we all kind of live close. My brother lives down in Atlanta, but we do a lot of things together. It's a very typical ethnic family. Like on Sundays, we get together, uh, we go to church, and then we end up at my mother's house, and we have dinner at my mother's house <laughs> practically every Sunday. <laughs> it's, I love your, that. it's your typical thing, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's, it's, family is very, very, very important to us. And we stress, and my wife and I stress that to our three kids is that, yes, you can have an education. Yes, you can do marvelous things in the world. But your family is always going to be there for you, mm-hmm. and you need to respect that. Um, and my wife is the other person, the third person. You have to remember I married my high school sweetheart. Mm-hmm. So I've known her. 
We've been married 24 years, but I've known her for 30 years. Wow. Uh, so we really kind of grew up together. And the person that you're talking to now is truly kind of the person I was uh, when I was growing up in high school. And then my wife kind of really kind of saw the other person kind of taking over that professional life. Mm. And she saw that other person, that high school kid that she truly loved, kind of slipping away a little bit. Mm-hmm. And she she understood, and she stood by me, and she was always there for me. She was kind of like that that angel, that guardian angel in my life. Um, and now that I have a chance to kind of reflect on it, and I'm on the other side, she really was the solid rock through that entire time. Because you have to remember, professional athletes, especially in the NFL, um, during the season and sometimes during the offseason, um, we're working seven days a week. There's not a weekend that we're not working or during the week we are, we're constantly working. So on top of that, when we got married when I was 24, we started having children right away. Mm-hmm. So by the time I was 30, we already had our three children. So my wife was really taking care of the family while I was playing. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank God, I mean, she's Irish Italian, so <laughs> she's extremely strong woman. So um, I give my hat off to her. I mean, she's been like the solid rock, like I said, in my family or in my life and in my family for, for a long, long time. Yeah, such a blessing. <laughs> and so then speaking of this family unit and stuff, I know that there are so many families that dedicate an entire weekend to a sport. And thinking back, I was, you know, thinking about like the way that I grew up as my brother was on the baseball team in our town. And additional to that, there was like a tougher league that he can try out for. And that league, man, they play like four or five games on Sundays. And it started from like the beginning of the day to the end of the day. So the schedule was very harsh and it made it harder to attend mass and stuff. So what advice would you give families who are also battling between taking advantage of these sporting activities and also keeping faith a priority? Well, hey, welcome to the club. <laughs> my daughter, my daughter's in J.O. volleyball. Oh. Um, so she has a regular high school season mm-hmm. during the fall. And then J.O. usually starts like around January. And she's 18. It ends a little bit earlier this year. But typically when she started when she was 10, it went from January to June. Um, and God bless her. Um, she, she's a senior in high school. She is going to be attending Northwestern uh, University next year on a full scholarship to play volleyball. She's got all the athletic genes in the family. So, uh, I'm so proud of her and what she's done. But I, I, I live that life is that when we travel, um, there are times when you're there the entire weekend from Indianapolis to Louisville to Columbus, Ohio, mm-hmm. to Anaheim, California, wherever you're at. The first thing I do when I get into that town is I grab my phone and I find out where the closest you know church or cathedral is mm-hmm. that I can attend mass. And I make it a point that, that my wife comes with me. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. We were just down in Columbus a couple of weeks ago. And I had gotten an Uber to to the cathedral, St. Joseph's Cathedral in Columbus. And I got there, and I got there about 20 minutes early. And sure enough, right before Mass started, my wife comes running in. Um, She had to take care of my daughter. She had to get her, like, a a snack or whatever because she was in between games. And so we had an opportunity to go to Mass and then end up 
back at the convention center and watching the rest of her games. Now, sometimes we will miss some games. That's okay. Our daughter is old enough now that she can kind of handle herself. And she, you know, even if we're not there for the games, that's okay. We have enough parents around us that if something would happen, they can call us. But we make it a total effort to make it to Mass on Sunday, wherever we're at. And it's a truly, it's a great, it's an unbelievable blessing because I've been to some of the greatest cathedrals in all the United States because I've traveled all over the country. And to be able to do that is just a true blessing. But it is. It's hard on parents when even when you're traveling for Easter, Holy Week, and you have a tournament in Chicago, um, and you have to go to the tournament, and you miss all those unbelievable masses and celebrations during Holy Week. Mm -hmm. That that really bothers me. And that's sometimes, like when the schedule comes out, that's the first thing I ask is, are we home for Holy Week? Uh Uh, We're home. We're home this year, and I'm I'm so grateful for that. Um, But... At the same time, we also make it an effort. We make it an effort, and and we uh, consciously think, of where can we attend Mass this weekend? And like I said, she's 18 now, so we've been are all around the country, so we kind of know what her schedule is going to be like during that Saturday, Sunday, and we find a time to go, and we make it the effort to get there. Yeah, and it's the best of both worlds because you're traveling, but then you also visit all of these other Catholic parishes and get to know um, different locations. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, it's it's you know the, there's the cathedral in St. Louis. I don't remember the name of it, but I know um, St. John Paul II was there. It it is un. Believable, the mosaics in there. Wow. So I've been around the entire country. Like I've been to Washington D.C. I've been to the the cathedrals there. So that's the one thing that I try to do mm-hmm. is whatever city I'm in, I'm looking for a cathedral to go see and visit and spend some time there. Um, I've, like I said, it's it's been a true blessing for me. Do you have a favorite cathedral? Well, I will tell you the one in Cleveland is probably one of the best. <laughs> I think that's a biased answer. <laughs> it is. It is a little biased, but um, I, I do. I regularly come down to downtown Cleveland. I you know they have a great noon mass that you know sometimes with the scheduling and things like that that I have. If I can get down, and it, for me, it's traffic in Cleveland is so easy. I can be there in fifteen twenty minutes, and just to be there um, is a true joy. I and mean, now we have a new bishop, Bishop. Uh, Nelson Perez, and uh, it's just, it's, everything's kind of just working its way in God's way. Mm-hmm. So you, you know, you shared about your family life, and then you were also working toward your master's in theology. I mean, that's a cool transition and beautiful, spiritual, new chapter in your life. So what's it like working towards these new goals and even being a catechist for the youth? It has been more than I've ever thought. I am at St. Mary's Seminary in on the east side of Cleveland. Um, to go there, you know, typically I have like two classes uh, during a semester, and I'm usually there like two to three times a week. And I, I make it a point to go to Mass with the seminarians uh, prior to my classes. And all my professors that I've had there, it's been absolutely amazing. Everything that um, that I was taught has been confirmed, and everything that I've been taught at the seminary has been enlightening. There's things that, that I never really thought of certain ways. 
um, in all my studies here at home that I do, all the readings and writings, you know, as, as a master in theology, though, what you're constantly doing is you're reading the, the theologians of the past and you're writing about them. And, and for me, it's very interesting. Um, it feels like I'm in prayer on a consistent basis during the day. Wow. When I'm reading um, things from John Paul, or I'm, I'm reading encyclicals from Vatican II, um, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing um, that we have such an unbelievable treasure of things that we can grasp onto from the Church and sit there and read and educate ourselves. I think that's the missing link sometimes, in our Catholic faith, is that we miss those treasures. Mm-hmm. We miss the saints. We miss all the uh, the mystics of the Church, um, all the writings of the patristics, all that. Um, I think we get kind of like bogged down in the doctrine a little bit too much, and we miss the aspect of the treasures of the Church um, and what the Fathers were really trying to teach us. Um, and really just opening Scripture on a, on a, on a, ba- a daily basis. That's another thing that I think a lot of us as masters of theology is that we do. We read Scripture on a very daily basis for us. So um, I'm, I'm so blessed to have the opportunity to, to be there and to be a part of that community. And it is really rich in uh, my life spiritually, um, faithfully, and what has it done is that now that I have an opportunity to go out to the men's conferences, I share what I'm learning with these men. I have a conference coming up here. Uh, I have two, actually. I have, I'm going down to Orlando, and then I go to Massachusetts. And what I want to really stress is, uh, through our baptism, is how are, are we called as prophet, uh, priest, prophet, and king? Mm-hmm. And I try to entwine that with uh, kind of what I... What I really like to talk about is our faith, our family, and our work life. And so I put all of those three together, and I intertwine those and give that example to the men. So I've been truly blessed and enlightened by everything that I've learned, um, but it's it's not always learning. It's also forming and, and giving yourself more completely uh, to what God is calling you to. And I think that sometimes that's more important than just the learning aspect of it is the the surrender and trust and obedience to God. Beautiful, the surrender and trust. So how does your faith keep you focused on the light of Christ and away from any negativity we may face in our life today? Wow, great, great question. That is probably the biggest struggle of everybody that's going to be listening to this is that we do. It's the human tendency is to look at the negative, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But... What is what does Jesus say? Love your enemy. Ooh. That is that is probably the hard. It's the easiest thing to say, the hardest thing to do. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy for us to see that person who bothers us on a consistent basis. It could be within our family. It could be within our work life. It could be whoever, somebody that you run into in the street or wherever wherever you're at. And that person might trigger something in you that is so negative that either it is words that come out or there's a thought that comes out or there's deeds that come out that are sinful. 
That's the easy way out. The hardest way is to look at that person in love, like Christ would, with compassion and forgiveness and tenderness. That is the hardest thing, and I know for me that's the hardest. Because, like I said, we have a tendency to be very pessimistic, very negative, um, talk behind people's backs, uh, things like that. We might not say it to their face, but then when we're with our wife or our friends or something like that, um, then we'll talk about that person. Why do we do that? I don't, I don't know. But the hardest thing and what Christ is calling us to do is to go to that person directly in kindness and forgiveness and love. That is the greatest challenge I think we have as a society today um, that revolves around everything that we do, um, from our family lives to our personal lives, from friends um, to work life, whatever it can be, and our, and our children too. If our children can learn from us the way that we are supposed to love our enemies, um, it would change a lot of things. I, I really believe that. And that's going that's going back to that you know, having Christ as your center, mm-hmm. the focal point of who you are. Um, what what you do in certain instances like that is, what would Christ discern here? What would his thought be? Instead of just letting that first reaction come out of you, um, that is the hardest thing. Because it is, it's an emotional uh, negative reaction that sometimes comes out of you. It could be, like I said, words or a thought. But um, to take the time and to think like Christ and to see like Christ um, is very hard. Because what happens is that person might have hurt you. Um, and so what you try to do is you try to hurt that person in return because of the way you feel. Um, that is the greatest challenge. That's the greatest challenge for me, I know. Um, and I And I pray about that probably almost every day, that... He would send His grace upon me to be able to to see like Him, um, to hear like Him, to think like Him, to talk like Him at every turn. And But He warns you. He says, you're going to be persecuted like I was. Um, and so you have to kind of understand that. And if you have that mindset going in, that yes, you will be persecuted for having faith in me and speaking my name, then you kind of have maybe like a little thought going in. You have a little shield and guard, um, but then that love of Christ needs to come out in, in, in the way you see that other person. So then looking back, what would you tell your younger self on how faith could have played a more dominant role in his life? Because you said that, you know, you were a little bit apart from it. Yeah, you know, I tell this to the men's conference. <laughs> you know, when I was going through the, the college years and the NFL playing and doing all those things, I will say this, all that through that period um, was all on my own effort. I had great, you know, people around me, but I did not have the greatest person I should have in my life, and that's Christ. Christ should have been the total focal point of that. And I say, when, when I was done and I was retired, I was truly lost because Christ was not a part of my, my life at that time. And I, looking back and reflecting on it, how much greater that experience would have been 
if Christ would have been a part of it. And I say that because through the struggles that everybody goes to get to a higher position and whatever you want to accomplish, there's going to be so many highs and so many lows that not everybody, not everybody can handle that on their own. I had an unbelievable rock in my life. But imagine if Christ was truly present in my life, that at the, some of the lowest of the lows, he would have been there for me consistently. And at the highest of the highs, mm-hmm. he would have been there. I, I can't even imagine that what it would have been like to accomplish all those, you know, the Super Bowl, Pro Bowls, you know, Rose Bowls, whatever, all those things. And he was truly a part of that and was really the focal point of my life. It, it would have been totally different. It would have been the greatest accomplishment of all time. And that's what I want to stress to even the younger generation that I get to talk to, is that, yes, you should go out and strive for your dreams at, at all costs. Go and do it. Do what you want to do. But I will advise you, put Christ as a part of that. Be in relationship with them, because there are like those lows. And if Christ is part of that, you can draw on his strength and his power, and his resurrection that'll get you through those those low times. And, it'll, and the end point that you want to get to is that sometimes you'll accomplish that, and Christ is a part of that. And sometimes you're going to fail and not reach that, that high point, but Christ will be a part of your life. And that's more important, like I said earlier, that I learned from all those people in my younger life, that's more important than accomplishing that ultimate goal that you want. Because you get to that ultimate goal in the secular life, then you go, well, there's something greater than this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go get that. And you try to find the happiness in that. There is nothing greater than Christ himself. And it's interesting, when I'm over at the seminary, um, the seminarians come up to me and they're like, wow, you you accomplished this, you did this, and you did this, and you won a Super Bowl, and you did all these great things. I said, yeah, but you will do something greater than anybody on the face of the earth. You will be Christ in Persona Christi. You will do that. That is the the greatest, the most, the most important accomplishment that you can do. You have been called to do that. That, that to me, blows my mind away compared to someone who's like ultra successful to be able to be called um by god to serve him that 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 just because i have my first cousin in europe uh, that i've known for a long time is a priest also and i just know when growing up with him and knowing him um he was different and he, and he heard the call. Um, and I see these guys at the seminary. I see the same thing. They've been truly called to the priesthood to serve God. That is, that's the greatest accomplishment of all time. Wow, that's so incredible. And you have such a extended family that reaches, you know, in all sorts of levels and especially with uh, God in the center of your life. And I like to also say that regardless of where you are in your life, you know, you can strive for a career, but you can also have 
God right in the center. And he's always there regardless if we are open to his love or not. And he's never going to abandon us. It's just that we have to be open to his love and his mercy. Exactly. So I don't know if you're going to tell me that you're still keeping up with football or not, but I was really curious to know if you have a favorite team that you cheer for now or if it's a little biased and you have to root for the, the teams that you've already played for. <laughs> I was like, how does that well, work? Well, it has to be a little biased. <laughs> I, do, I do watch, I do watch uh, Michigan play. Uh, I've known uh, Jim Harbaugh for a number of years now, and um, – when I was at Michigan, he would always come back, and he and I would talk on a regular basis when he was in the NFL playing, and he would come back, and I would kind of pick his brain, and, <laughs> and he would teach me some things. So I owe a lot to him. Uh, I really like what he's doing there. I think he's they're on the right track. They're going to be great. Uh, things are going to work out with him. When it comes to the NFL, it's a little different. Uh-huh. You know, it was interesting. I, I, I didn't see any regular season game, not a one. <laughs> I don't know what was going on, but I did not sit down. Well, I live in Cleveland, too, so you have to watch the Browns if you're going to watch a game. And I'm not <laughs> yeah. going to do that. Um, so you have to sit and watch game, and I didn't do that. But for interesting, the playoffs came, and I watched a lot of the playoff games. And I was – it was great. They were great games. They were – it was great football. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm a little biased with the college versus the NFL. Yeah. You know, you could watch college games on Saturday from from noon till midnight and there's great games every Saturday. But then you get the NFL, you can't say that about every game mm-hmm. because it could be like ten to seven and it's horrible football. <laughs> but um you know, I I'm a little biased. I'm a Michigan guy, so I do watch Tom Brady. <laughs> I love to watch him play. I mean not just because he's a Michigan guy. Yeah. But I mean he's so good at what he does. You know, him and Peyton Manning have really kind of elevated uh, the, the quarterback position to, to something different than uh, uh, when I was playing. Um, they have taken it to another level. And it, those two guys together, um, their legacy is going to be f- around for a long, long time. Um, there's going to be yet another guy come along like a Tom Brady but is also athletic too at the same time. And that, that'll be a deadly combination. So, um, so yeah, I'm a little biased with the Patriots. I like to watch Tom Brady, but, um, <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a college guy. I like watching so college football on if Saturdays. I, if I were to say that I went to UF and I'm a Gator, are we still cool? <laughs> oh, yeah, we're totally cool. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to know that. <laughs> So then one of the great reasons for this podcast is because you have an amazing event coming up on one of our parishes in Central Florida. So please share with us the details of the event and what kind of message you want people to take away. I am over um, at St. Charles Borromeo uh, in Orlando. I, I couldn't give you the specific location. Uh, you might want to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm going to be there on Friday night, uh, March Ninth, uh, I believe around seven seven thirty, mm-hmm. um, and then the following day there's a golf outing. Ooh, um, are you a good so, golfer? <laughs> uh, I used to be. Uh, <laughs> this will be interesting. I haven't played in a while, but we still have snow up here in Cleveland for crying out loud. Ooh, yeah, then you so, can't play there. <laughs> um, it might be like the first time I ever hit a golf ball this year, so uh, it'll be interesting. 
But it's going to be a two-day event. It's going to be great. Uh, I'm hoping a lot of people come. I have a great message, not only for the, the parishioners of uh, St. Charles, but also the youth. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to put maybe a little section together where the youth can sit uh, up front, and I can really kind of direct my talk to them, because it's, it's really important. Um, the people who are a part of that group um, that are parishioners are strong in their faith. And they'll hear a message. But I think the youth needs to, to hear what I have to say. And I also do Q&A, which is great. Oh, that's really end. good. And I have an opportunity to kind of really understand where they're coming from. And I do have an understanding of it. I have three children mm-hmm, that have just go. gone through high school and are in college right now. So I have a really, really good background of what's going on with these kids. Um, and what do they look forward to? And I'm not the kind of guy that's going to sit there as a father and say, you have to do this and this and this and this. No, I kind of meet where they're at Mm -hmm. and say, yes, you can go go do your dreams, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, faith should be a part of that because it can help you. It can help you get to what you want to do. So um, really looking forward to this um, event. It's, It's been in the works for a long time. It's through... I, uh, a man, um, Michael Forrester, and the Knights of Columbus. Um, oh. They're doing the whole sponsorship and everything. So it's going to be just a great event. I'm hoping for people to come out, get a great message, and be a part of that. Be not only for Friday night, but also uh, look at, for the information about the golf outing also. Exactly. And so, again, the event is on Friday, March 9th at St. Charles Barromeo Parish in Orlando from 7.30 to 8.30. So check out the event because Elvis is going to be there and it's going to be really nice to chat with him, especially for the youth and all those kids that are seeking um, athletic careers, because I think that's going to be really important to keep your athletic career and your spiritual life intact. Well, Elvis, it was so cool having you on the podcast. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much, and we will see you March 9th at St. Charles Borromeo in Orlando. Thank you so much. I appreciate for your time. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Catherine from Favorite Radio. Catch you on the next one. <laughs>